Hi, this is Carl, and welcome to another edition of the SMB Community Podcast. Today we talked to a couple of very interesting members of our community who have got some great advice about hiring processes and some interesting news about where we are in the industry as a whole. First, we're going to talk to Todd Billier from VAR Staffing, and then to our frequent guest and friend, Josh Peterson from Bering McKinley. First up is Mr. Todd Billier. Next up, I have Mr. Todd Billier, who is the Director of Channel Sales and Marketing at VAR Staffing, which is varstaffing.com. Welcome, sir. Oh, thank you, Carl. Appreciate you uh, inviting me to join your audience today. So Todd brings over 20 years of dedicated service in the field of technology consulting and service to VAR staffing. He has over 10 years' experience in the channel, having worked for both large and small VARs. With a wide-ranging network of VARs, distributors, manufacturers, and industry-related groups, Todd brings many best practices to his clients and develops long-lasting relationships built on integrity and trust. So let me just uh, let you start with a little bit of what exactly is VAR staffing and, and what do you do? All right. Well, VAR Staffing is a uh, talent recruiting agency that uh, focuses exclusively on the VAR MSP system integrator uh, space vertical. What makes us different from other national players is uh, we're intimately familiar with what makes candidates successful in the VAR MSP space. Any recruiter out there worth their salt can do a quick keyword search and come back with a, a pile of resumes. We take it much further. You know, after we identify the candidates, uh, we go out and we vet them, and we want to make sure that, in addition to having the technical chops, that they have the soft skills. Things like, are they comfortable going from different environment to different environment multiple times a day? Uh, can they have that eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball conversation with your clients when they're out in the field? Because they truly are the face of your company when they're on site. Um, are they comfortable being held uh, accountable to entering their information and activities into a ticketing system? Um, just, you know, all those soft skills that you can't really convey just in a resume. Right. So how, how, how do we know what makes these candidates successful and what those skills are? Well, for one, you know, myself, for instance, I come from that, that background. I've worked for both large and small VARs. I, I cut my teeth as a Novell engineer out in the field, and then I transitioned inside, and I oversaw a 60-person help desk knock for a large MSP in upstate New York. So from there, we do our vetting, and then only then do we actually submit our candidates to our clients, and we found about one in nine candidates uh, finally actually are submitted. All righty. I was prompted to contact you because of an article that you wrote in the, the Channel Pro magazine about uh, interviewing processes and how IT companies um, can interview. And one of the things you mentioned is uh, something that's labeled not, uh, one and done. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, you know, with today's IT unemployment uh, and that vertical being, you know, anywhere from 1% to 2%, um, you're, you're not going to get a whole lot of candidates just applying for a position. So what I like to tell my, my clients is if the first candidate you interview, be it from a recruiting agency or somebody who responded to an ad, if they, you know, if they have the skills you're looking for and they, they're good culture fit, move forward with the hire. Don't wait until you get two or three other qualified candidates because 
by the time you get them in the door and run them through your interviewing process, chances are that first candidate may have just taken a, a competing offer. Um, you know, the very best candidates today are very high in demand. Uh, you know, with unemployment running in that one to two percent for IT professionals, your best candidates generally a are not watching the job boards. Uh, two, they're working full time. So. You know, one of the things that strikes me is if the unemployment rate within our sector is that low, we must be having to pay a lot more for people. Is that the case, or is it still possible to get somebody at, uh, you know, 12 or $14 an hour? Depending on the skill set you're looking for, um, absolutely the, the pay rates have gone up, I would say, uh, over the last couple of years as the talent market has gotten much tighter. We've seen base salaries going anywhere from, you know, up an additional 10 to 15k a year. Um, you know, the other thing I always advise my clients is, when you do have that candidate, you want to make the offer to make your first offer your strongest offer. Don't try to lowball the candidate. Um, chances are they're, they're going to have a competing offer from another employer. If the candidates say they're looking for 50k a year, why not offer them 52, 53k a year? And let them know you're very excited about them joining your team. So it's a little like real estate. <laughs> if you want the house, you'll, you'll Absolutely. want a little more. <laughs> Absolutely. If you want to win, that's the, 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 it's definitely a race to who's going to make the best offer. Right. So what about uh, different interviews? So is this just something where you recommend that I, as the owner, interview people, or should I get my team to interview them? Should I get the manager? You know, how many how many interviews should we have? So I always advise that you know not only you our, what I like to see as a a good interview process would be maybe a phone screen with the owner, and then bring the candidate in for the face to face. Do a little bit of a tech screen with one of the engineers. Um, maybe have a couple of the peers. Uh, talk to them, see if they're going to be a good culture fit. Uh, sometimes I, I've seen uh, organizations take the cl- uh, candidate out to lunch or maybe out for uh, a bite to eat after work just to see how they mingle with the other teammates and make sure they're truly going to be a good culture fit. On the technical screening side, things I've seen work really well would be to uh, set up a broken machine in a lab and see how the candidate approaches the computer and how they uh, attack the problem. If there's another terminal that has maybe Google access, do they Google it? Um, they, maybe they don't know how to fix it, but how do they try to work their way through it? Uh, you know, it kind of goes back to what I like to refer to as the skills versus talent. The candidate may have 80% of the skill set you're looking to have, you're looking to bring in, but they're lacking that other 20%. But generally, engineers if they've gotten to that point in the career, they want to learn new. And that's actually a motivating factor that there is something new for the, the candidate to work with. Because you know, generally, people, people don't want to switch jobs and do the same thing day in, day out for just another two, three grand a year. There's got to be something more to it, a new skill set, a new opportunity. Um, something else has got to be the motivating factor. So... One of the things that, that's happening as we move to the cloud is that a lot of companies are realizing that they don't need somebody who's as technically talented as they needed five or ten years ago. You know, you might need one network engineer, but then you need a bunch of people who can just set up accounts at Intermedia or Rackspace or Azure or whatever. Um, does that 
Have you seen that in the the people that uh, come to you and are looking for candidates? We're, we're definitely seeing an uptick in the, the lower end positions, your level one, level twos, uh, who can, de- um, again, work the help desk as the call comes in, again, do the ad moves changes. We've absolutely seen an uptick. And those those positions are becoming very hard to fill compared to the, the senior level positions. But you're absolutely correct. Um, well, that's there's interesting, a, a that lower demand. <laughs> All right. So if folks are interested to find out um, how bar staffing can help them, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. They can reach me at tbillier at varstaffing.com, or they can reach out to me directly at 972-847-0566. They can also keep up with my blog at varstaffing.com. Uh, every uh, couple times a week, I put out best of practice articles that talk about uh, how to recruit, how to attract, how to interview, how to retain, uh, just everything you know to be successful in building and keeping a, a very strong team. Very good, and we'll put links to all of that in the blog when we post this interview. Great. Well, I appreciate it, Carl. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Next, Josh Peterson joins us, and uh, Josh is a longtime friend of mine and has been a speaker at the SMB online conference, and uh, he's always got spectacular advice and is really one of uh, my favorite people in the channel. It is time now for your... Check up from the neck up with Mr. Josh Peterson, CEO of Bering McKinley. Welcome, sir. Oh, thank you, Carl. Good afternoon to you. So before we get into the discussion that we're going to have about hiring, why don't you give us uh, 30 seconds about what is Bering McKinley and uh, what do you do? Uh, you bet. Bering McKinley is a uh, management consulting firm. We work with uh, IT companies and only IT companies around the world. So we really focus on the operations of your business. We like to tell everyone we couldn't tell you how to buy a house or buy a stock, but we think we've got a pretty good handle on this IT business. Everything from how to sell your services, how to deliver your services more efficiently and profitably, and how to keep track of all that money you're making with all of our accounting and financial help as well. And then we work with folks on a direct one-on-one consulting basis, we hold workshops around those core areas, and then, of course, you've got our peer teams as well where we bring 10 business owners together a couple times a year to really hold each other accountable and work on their business. Very good. So our topic today is about hiring, and one of the things that you and I have discussed in the past is uh, that you're, you're a firm believer that you, you should uh, hire before you need somebody. What, what's, what does that mean? Well, I think what that what that means for most of our clients that adopt this same mentality is that we're always recruiting. We're always kind of modeling ourselves after a professional baseball team or football team. We're looking into next season. Our bench may be full. Our roster may be full. We may have our starters. But that doesn't mean that we stop scouting. So what we like to have folks do is always have ads out there, always be talking to people that you find interesting, out in your day-to-day life, inviting people to come in to talk with you about any opportunities you might have in the future. When we first talk about uh, always be interviewing, uh, people immediately start looking for some reason why they shouldn't do that. And one of the first things people say is, well, I don't want to lie to somebody and have them interview for a position I don't have. And that's, you know, just head junk uh, because no one's asking you to do that. What we're asking to do is, Keep an ad out, 
keep talking to people, say, you know what, I love your resume, I find you really interesting, we don't have any opportunities today, but I'd love to have you come in and let's get to know each other so that the minute something opens up, I can give you a call. Or if anything changes in your life, you can give me a call. But we should probably get to know each other so when the opportunity is right, we can work together. And so that's what we mean by always be hiring. And is this something that you think uh, IT pros should prepare for because they might suddenly land that really big job that they've got and then they, and suddenly you got like four projects at once and they are going to be short-staffed? You know, I'll tell you what, I, I, that's a, a realistic scenario that people always have to be prepared for. I hate to be a negative guy, but, but you know, it's Thursday and it's 98 degrees out and humid, so I'll just be <laughs> negative for a minute. What I typically see more often happening, Carl, is that that mediocre tech that you've been wanting to fire forever, but you depend on him too much and you got to get that one last thing finished before you can let him go, that guy up and quits on you with no notice. And now you're back playing engineer for a couple of weeks or a month while you try to get somebody else hired. And because it didn't happen on your time frame, now you're hiring too quickly. You're putting an ad out and you're hiring somebody after the first interview. And you're making decisions that you wouldn't normally other, otherwise make. So whether it's something positive like that big job gets landed and you need to get somebody in there or whether, or whether it's something like, uh, you know, like my scenario where somebody quits on you and you need somebody in. Right. So it so it's mostly about don't don't make an emergency decision just because you're in an emergency. Be prepared because you can see that day coming. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know that day is going to come, whether it's a negative or a positive thing. That day will come. Right. Now the other thing is uh, that when people when you finally hire somebody, especially in that emergency situation, how do you have time to lay out? you know, what you want them to do the first week and the second week and, you know, how, how do you train them if, uh, if in fact, you're playing catch-up with, um, with the technician who just walked out the door? Well, what we, what we encourage all of our clients to do, and that's something that we uh, always do with our clients when we first, first start working with them, is, is lay out a few 30, 60, 90-day plans. And that's where we really get in-depth with you in a non-critical situation to say, what does week one look like? And in week one, we may even take it down to what does day one, day two, through day five look like? Then we're going to work on week two and week three and week four, where we're really focused on what's the objective this week. And, Carl, the biggest thing on all of these that, that we say is shadowing. There's just ne never too much shadowing. We want those texts to come in, get out there with of the salespeople, if you have them, get out there with you, the owner, and get out there with other technicians before we start saying, hey, here's your first ticket. So in, in, when we're not constrained by an emergency, we want to sit down and make that, that 30, 60, 90-day plan and have some real clear objectives of, of what we want accomplished in that time period. Right. Todd with VAR staffing is saying that the unemployment in our industry is about 1% to 2%, which you know, we're, we're very blessed that that's the case and glad that we're in this business and not some other business. But have you seen a change in the kind of people that are applying for jobs and being interviewed? Is it harder to find uh, good people? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I'm really glad to, to hear him say that because that's been our, our experience in some of the larger markets uh, over the last four or five months. I've got uh, folks in Manhattan 
who have been looking for three months to find a tech. And what they're, what he's finding, what they're finding is uh, folks that are, are genuine level one techs who uh, just for whatever reason are considering themselves level two, three technicians uh, asking for a lot of money. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not sure. I'm uh, yeah. That that would definitely support what we've what we found. It's a difference from a few years ago. Is we're seeing people really overestimating their qualifications. So it's slowing down the hiring process quite a bit. And so what what do you do about that? I mean, you just uh, give them more tests or ask for more certifications or you know how do you, how do you verify that I, they are who they say they are? You know, I think you're still faced with, with that age-old, you know, do you know what you really know? Do you know what you say you know? And there is testing available, and I think those things are really valid. Um, I continue to say that I want you hiring at the bottom of the pyramid. Uh, if we're thinking about, you know, a, a good solid base of level ones, working our way up to one or two, level three or fours. So I'm still hiring on attitude. I'm still hiring people who are dying to get into technology. I'm still hiring for people that, that show me they want to work. And those are the people I get most excited about. When I need that level three or four, you know, I'm, I'm saying is there a way to, to leverage my peers and utilize some of their resources out there? So I think if we can go, go after more level ones or low level twos, I think that, that pipeline is always going to be full for you or at least a little more full than those level three and fours who now at this moment in time are, are thinking six figures and high, high 80s, high 90s, which can be a real deal breaker for most of our clients. Right. So um, what's probably the, you know, for, for people who are not familiar with, um, I guess, interviewing all the time, where's a good place for them to start to, like, learn some resources about this or, you know, what are some good questions, that kind of stuff? Our favorite interviewing methods is kind of center around, center around situational questions. And anytime we, we do any speaking in front of a group, uh, inevitably or invariably we get uh, emails saying, hey, can you send me a list of questions? And I don't mind sending a list of questions out there, but I really am more curious to say, if I tell you that you should ask situational questions, what comes to your mind as an interviewer? So if we understand that a situational question usually starts with, tell me about a time. I want my, my client or the person I'm working with to be thinking about, well, what, what do you want to know about this person? Tell me about a time you got in a fight with a coworker. Tell me about a time you screwed up a big job. Tell me about a time you saved the day with a great solution. So I would encourage people, again, to kind of, Offline, not in the not five minutes before the interviewee comes in or interviewer comes in, make that list of questions. So we really kind of think situational questions because they're hard to to be leading. A lot of times when we're asking questions, we we ask unintentionally leading questions. For example, if we said, "So, would you consider yourself a detail-oriented person?" <laughs> Well, I think we all kind of know that that's obviously what, what the guy's looking for. Right. You know, or it's really important to be on time to this job. Would you consider yourself prompt? <laughs> oh, well, of course I do. So those situational questions, they're hard to prepare for, and they're hard to ask in a leading way, and they're hard for, you know, the candidate to, to be able to make too much on the fly. And then 
once we have that situational question out there, then we can kind of layer the questions on top of it. Right. So if somebody were to Google situational interview questions, I'm sure there'd be hundreds of pages out there. But we're looking for great attitude, ability to describe what they've done in the past and in an interview. So, so pretty much anything that starts with a tell me about a time when you um, is, right. a, is a good question, right? So. I, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and that also uh, kind of forces the interviewer to get away from talking. And, you know, a lot of times when when I've seen people interviewed, they spend all their time telling about their own company and, and not listening to the candidate. So uh, the candidate thinks they did great because all they did is listen to this guy tell you about his company for half an hour. Uh, oh, that, you know, that's something I always forget to mention, and that is such a great point. I do sit in on a lot of interview with, interviews with my clients, and I am shocked at how much people want to talk. I mean, they will go, owners will go on and on and on. And here's the other thing, please put your laptop away. You don't need to be on your laptop taking notes during the interview. Get a pencil and paper. Don't create those barriers. That's the other one that drives me crazy. Talking too much during the interview and having your laptop in front of you. <laughs> right. But yeah, those, uh, those are a couple of biggies right there. Well, and let me just finish with, uh, with this and, and that is that you taught me to ask a question that has become perhaps the most powerful question I ever ask and I ask it all the time. And that is simply what has changed since the last time I talked to you? Don't you love that? How, how Tell folks how that fits in the interview process. Well, I, you know, I always have to give credit where credit is due, and my, my mentor, Larry Schultz, taught me that question about 11 years ago, and it's just been a, a beautiful question. And the idea with that is people will tell you anything, and if we can assume that something may have changed from the last time we met, if we can get them to tell you what that thing is, it's going to eliminate a lot of their ability to negotiate with you down the road uh, when you're making an offer. It also eliminates you from spinning your wheels on, on a lot of candidates that are no longer qualified for a position. And my favorite one is when uh, a candidate came back and we said, okay, so what's changed since the last time we met? And I've heard both of these. My favorite one is, you know what, I got a little crazy over my birthday weekend. I got a drunk driving ticket. And uh, now I'm kind of dealing with that. Is that going to hurt my chances with this position? <laughs> now, I never would have thought to ask this guy if he got a drunk driving ticket. So right. I just threw that right out there. You know, and so that's, that's a great one. You know, the other one is, you know, oh, my boss, you know, found out that I was interviewing for other positions and they made me another offer. They, they made me an offer to stay. Well, you know what? Let's get that out of the way early so that I'm not, handing you my job offer, you know, a week from now, really banking on you, knowing you knowing the whole time that you're just, that you're just going to leverage it with your current employer. Right. So it just really uncovers a lot of things and lets you not be sandbagged at the end because anyone that we make an offer to, we want to have about a 90% close ratio on them saying yes to our offer. Right, which gets to the final question, which is, if I were to offer you this job today, is there any reason that you wouldn't be able to take it? That's it. That's right. And that's the, that's that trial close after the second interview, right? And then now we know by the end of that second interview, 
while we're going into in the third interview. And during the end of that second interview, you can really get through any of their fears or objections or questions about the job. Then you can, once you reel them in with that, then you give them a little line and say, well, we're talking to some other people, and we should be in touch with you later this afternoon to set up a third and final interview if we both think we should proceed. Very good. And that cat sets it up beautiful. Yeah, that's great, Carl. Obviously, you have a great deal to offer. How uh, how can folks get in touch with you and uh, and find out more about what you offer and uh, and more about Barry McKinley? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll try to speak it real slow because there's three three ways that I'd love for people to, to engage with us. One of them is check out the blog, and that's just josh.com, except for between the O and the S, there's a dash, so jo-sh.com. And you can read lots and lots of years of my ramblings about these type of topics that I'm really passionate about. Or email me at josh at com. And then third, give me a call. My phone number is 212-203-1364. I love talking about this stuff, so just give me a call, shoot me a text, send me an email, and uh, we'll chit-chat about what's going on in the world. Very good, and we'll post all that information on the blog that accompanies the podcast. That's it for now. I hope that you have a spectacular day. I hope that you don't have to pay too much for your next technician, but I think that we've got some good advice here about what you might do when it's time to start looking. I will see you next time on the SMB Community Podcast.